are listening to the 202 Studio, a podcast series exploring the creative sparks emanating from the District of Columbia. Throughout the series, we'll be talking with artists, humanities practitioners, organizational leaders, and many others, individuals working behind the scenes and in the spotlight, in organizations, studios, and workshops in all eight wards, as we explore the heartbeat of DC's arts, humanities, creativity, and culture. To learn more, visit dcarts.dc.gov. Welcome to the 202 Studio. From the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities, this is Jeffrey Scott. Today, we are joined by Mr. DC Black History himself, Chuck Hicks. Chuck, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Jeff? I'm great. Uh, so, uh, you know, of course, you and I have worked together uh, for a couple of years on a, a specific little project that the DC Black History Celebration Committee uh, has worked with the commission on. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about that and how your group and the commission have intersected. Oh, you mean the calendar? The calendar. Yes. Well, you know... For some time, one of the things that we thought that was a problem here in the city is that there's so many things that happen for Black History Month, and people don't know what's going on. And people will say to somebody, oh, did you go to so-and-so? And they say, no, I didn't know about it. And so we always hear this. And a good friend of mine, Lucy Murphy, and I were talking some years ago, and she said, Chuck X, you know what you need to do? You need to put together a black history calendar uh, so that people could go in every day and see what's going on. Um, and then they can decide what they want to go to and what they don't want to go to, but at least they'll know what's going on. And so I thought about it, and uh, I think we did a draft, a rough, rough draft of one before I came to the commission. Mm. And then I came to the commission with the thought, and the commission thought it was a good idea. And so they bought into it, and pretty much what we do is a partnership. And pretty much we collect events that are free from the community. And, of course, the commission collects uh, events from the from their people that they work with, organizations and stuff like that. But we do more of a community outreach to get in information and dates and times. Uh, and then we put it all together, and if we're lucky— uh, we get it out before February. Sometimes we don't get it out. And uh, one of the problems we had last year was that we got it out a week late. So all the events that happened for the first week uh, for the for the artists and the people performing, they lost. Because mm -hmm. nobody got the chance to see that. But it has been a great um, vehicle uh, for and, uh, for letting people know what's going on. And not only do we do it as a hard copy, uh, and we do thousands of copy and this year we'll probably increase our, our our numbers because the mayor's office is gotten involved in it and they want a certain amount and we ran short last year because um, they and when they did the we are Frederick Douglass which is another project we done uh, they needed stuff and they needed stuff for the uh, the mayor's Black History uh, unveiling of Frederick Douglass and a number of other things. So they took up uh, a large amount of, of the calendar. They did, yeah. Uh, and we had not expected that. So, we had not. Uh, so that put us in, uh, put us behind in terms of outreach, people getting it. One of the other things that this calendar has been able to do is that it's online. Mm -hmm. uh, it's on a website, it's on the D.C. Black History website, and it's on the city's website. So you can go in. One of the things that happens, of course, is that we have a deadline. And so we have to have 
There's a lot of stuff in by a certain day so we can get it to the commission and the commission can help lay it out and you can get it to a printer uh, and try to get it out by the 1st of February. But the other good thing that we're able to do is that we're able to add. Uh, when people call us and say, well, we got this program going on, we can still put it uh, online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so people who use the email, the web pages and stuff, they can still pick up the information about what's going on. So we, well, I think we've done, uh, since we started, we are up to listen almost over 100 different events easily, easily. Uh, that are going on every every year. Uh, and then we, we increased that probably another 25 or 30 uh, throughout the, the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, just by going online, mm-hmm. people call us, we take it in. So we can't put it in the calendar because the calendar is out, but we can put it online. Mm-hmm. And and so that I, I think that's uh, a great partnership that we've been able to form. And uh, it, it grows black history. Mm-hmm. And it grows it in a way that allows a lot of people uh, who didn't know information will get it. And one of the other things that I think is important about this calendar is that it allows the whole entire city to participate. It's not just in the African-American community, but it's in all the community, Latino community, the white community, the Native American community. It's all over. It's in public libraries. We make sure that all the public libraries have copies. And so if you go to Georgetown, you can pick it up. Mm-hmm. You go to Tinley, you can pick it up. You go to Anacostia, you can pick it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we're hoping to, ways to grow this this year, is that we'll put it out a call to churches We've not gotten, we've not worked with churches, but churches do a lot of different things during Black History Month, and they're open and they're free. And so we're reaching out to create a group of people who are going to reach out to uh, churches, and maybe we'll get 25 or 30 churches who will list at least one event mm-hmm. that they're doing during Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's that's the big project that has, continues to grow uh, with Black History and the Commission. And we've been doing that Four years now? Five four or five years? Four or five years, years yeah. Yeah. Five, yeah. And what I was always struck me is that it's it's really gotten to a point where these these companies, these organizations or civic groups that are producing the events start hitting us up sometimes earlier and say, we need to get in the calendar, we need to get in the calendar yeah. this year, and, and we send them to you guys so that you can collect their information. But it really is... Or, you know, once it's out and distributed, yeah. different uh, venues requesting their own hard copies that they want to display. And it's really been largely a, a word of mouth, yeah. grassroots kind of marketing effort. But it demonstrates that there is a real oh, desire and need to have this And one of the things that we hope to do, and I had talked a little bit uh, with uh, the director, uh, is that this year we want to be able to include groups community groups and nonprofits that might be doing something for black history and there is a donation requested. But it is like, for an example, if uh, NAACP is doing a black history scholarship uh, seminar or program Mm -hmm. and uh, that they are raising money for scholarships, then we would look at that. Mm -hmm. Now, if there is a group like Chuck is a party group, and they want to go in the book and they and then say, come to Chuck Hicks Black History Party uh, for $40. We didn't, we won't print that mm. uh, because that's not serving the community. That's self-service. Right. Uh, and so the idea that we can include community groups 
who are doing something, a church group for a good cause. If they uh, that sometimes they have uh, programs for women with cancer, mm-hmm. and they use that money to help women with cancer, and there's a black a black history luncheon for that. Mm-hmm. And we, I think that that's worth supporting. Mm-hmm. That's what's putting in the pro, in the book. Mm-hmm. And what we will probably do is put it in and put a dollar sign by it, mm-hmm. and then people can call and say. How much is it? Right. Uh, and so they, they can do that. And I think that's a, a way to grow it and to involve uh, the, uh, people in the community, different groups who are trying to give something back or trying to, to do something. This whole idea of this calendar is a little bit more, uh, it's going to be a little bit more than just what's going on for black history. Mm-hmm. It's also going to be something where people can be informed about things that influence their life or can benefit their lives in terms of health, mm-hmm. education, uh, social justice issues, mm-hmm. uh, that that calendar can share that kind of information that we don't want to limit it just to the arts as the arts. Mm-hmm. The arts are certainly a major part of it, but that should not be the only piece that we're doing. And so we, we, uh, we're growing that. Uh, some years ago, many, many years ago, uh, I formed the black, first black AIDS organization here in the city. Mm-hmm. And um, in that process, uh, we, uh, we had a group called Best Friends of D.C. Mm-hmm. And at some point, uh, a guy came to me and said, you could make some money for, for your group if you did a Black Pride Day. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, we had a board meeting to talk about that. And I thought that it was necessary, but because our group was a uh, uh, age group and not a gay group, that that was, and this was the time when people were homophobic and a whole right, bunch of other right. challenges. But half of, more than half of my board, I had a nine-member board, and seven of those board members took a leave of absence to put together Black Pride. And so, for the first couple of years, Black Pride uh, in this city, and we were the first place in the, any place in the world that had a Black Pride and was used as a fundraiser for AIDS. Uh-huh. After a couple of years, it shifted to paradigm. Uh-huh. And now it is a culture. It's representing the pride of black, gay, bisexual, LBGTQ uh-huh. community people. And so uh, I was interviewed once to say, what do you think of this shift? And I said, you know, when we started Pride, we started it as a fundraiser for AIDS. Mm-hmm. That's all. Mm-hmm. But it came into its own. Mm-hmm. And it's just a wonderful thing to see that it has its own identity mm-hmm. uh, and that their issue. And they have workshops and some of them about AIDS. But when we started off, uh, Black Pride was a fundraiser mm-hmm. for AIDS. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I see happening with this calendar is that it is evolving to be more than just what's going on for Black History Month in the arts. But it's also about different groups who are doing things in the community, doing Black History Month, mm-hmm. that they can share with each other and they can be a part of. Yeah, and I think, you know, even in these last several years, it's it's a Black History calendar, but it's not history as in it's just programs talking about what happened way right. back when no. a lot of the programs that are listed are contemporary. They're uh, poetry readings or books signing or the, film screens that are talking about contemporary life. The, so. the, the piece that we did with I am Frederick Douglass mm-hmm. uh, is a wonderful example yeah. of that uh, because of course, Frederick Douglass was a man of many, many uh, 
means in terms of what he stood for. Mm -hmm. And so when we put together uh, the commission, put together the program, I and Frederick Douglass, it was about Frederick Douglass and uh, women's rights. It was about uh, slavery. It was about voting rights. It was about a whole bunch of things. And that was mm -hmm. really an education piece of people knowing about Frederick Douglass, who he was and what he stood for. Yeah. And uh, for those uh, listeners out there who may not be familiar, uh, this past February 2018 uh, was the 200th birthday of Frederick Douglass. And yeah. so the D.C. Commission put together a, an event at the Lincoln Theater uh, to commemorate that, which included a panel discussion with Mr. Hicks and several other uh, scholars and uh, other folks speaking about different aspects of Frederick Douglass's life, but then also just different aspects of of African-American community in the United States throughout history. And, and uh, one of the pieces that sort of welded it together was the role that other communities play in black history. Mm -hmm. uh, and that it's important that other people understand the contributions of African-Americans uh, in this country and that they, uh, so that if only African-Americans know what the, the contributions, then we still lost out. But also that we come to realize that black history is not just for, for African-Americans, but black history is for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's a means of education and recognition for the entire community. Absolutely. So uh, you mentioned uh, D.C.'s Black Pride. Was the first Black Pride in the United States event? Yes. And when, what year was that started? Oh, it's been about 25 years now, and it was done at Banneker Field. Okay. First one was done at Banneker Field. It was an interesting thing because there was a lot of thought put into why it was done when it was done. Mm -hmm. And it was done on uh, Memorial Day weekend. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we had learned is that Memorial Day uh, in the African-American uh, gay community particularly was that D.C. was one of the places that lots of people came to mm -hmm. because there were so many social clubs in mm -hmm. D.C., probably more than any place else, perhaps, but then they, and maybe even New York. Mm -hmm. There were all kinds of social clubs, and every social club had an event going on during Memorial Day weekend. Mm -hmm. And, of course, people came from all over the country. Um, the, Elaine Harris writes in his book that the place to be for Memorial Day was D.C., uh, that anybody who was bisexual, gay, whatever, but you come to D.C. and not only with that group, but people who had left North Carolina or mm -hmm. Tennessee or here, they invite their friends up and they'd have a party or they'd have a barbecue at their house. Mm -hmm. And so we, we finally decided that the best time to do Pride was to be Memorial Day weekend. Mm. And, of course, at that point in time, everybody, there was not as much freedom and openness right. about being gay, uh, as it is today. But one of the things that we figured is that if we did this and if people from D.C. didn't come out, at least the people from out of town would come because yeah, they didn't there. have to worry about it. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they could be there. And, and so that was one of the places And we had to talk about security. Where was it that people could feel safe? Mm -hmm. uh, we looked at Southeast, we Rock, uh, Anacostia Park. We looked at... Um, couple other places. We looked at DuPont Circle, but we didn't feel that was in the black community. Mm -hmm. And finally, we chose Banneker Field, which was across from Howard, mm -hmm. uh, to, to to put this together. And uh, we put it together, and 
uh, Wilmore Cook was the first chair, mm -hmm. and Theodore Kirkland and Michael Benzant and Turner Freeman and Ernest Hopkins and a whole bunch of my, most of my board mm -hmm. uh, uh, took a leave of absence just to do Black Pride. And we were particularly concerned that uh, while most of our board was gay or bisexual, we, we, we didn't want it to have the concept that this was a gay organization because people didn't see it that way. Mm -hmm. We saw ourselves as an aid service organization. Mm -hmm. So this group that was doing Black Pride was a group of black men coming together to do the first Black mm -hmm. Pride for AIDS in this city. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, it grew, and we had it another year. And then the third year, I think they had one in Miami, and now it's all over the world. What was the turnout like that first year? Uh, well, And usually... I didn't go because I was president of the union for the city okay. uh, for these government employees, and I always went to something called CBTU, Coalition of Black Trade Union. But because we were doing this, and it was on our tutelage to a degree, I stayed. And I remember, and it started from 12 to 6, or 12 to dark, or something like that. And I remember Wilmore Cook, going to see Wilmore Cook, and he said, well, uh, Chell, I don't know where the people are, where the children are. Uh, and people would come in and go. We had 20, 30, 40 people coming in mm -hmm. and out. It was like five bucks, 10 bucks to get in. Mm -hmm. And then around five o'clock, it was like an exodus. People just started rolling in. Mm -hmm. And we ended up with maybe three or 400 people mm -hmm. uh, for that first event. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. It's just about four or five o'clock. It's just a stampede. People <laughs> came from everywhere. Bread for the Soul had lent Black Pride $5,000 because they didn't have any money mm -hmm. uh, to put on this event. Mm -hmm. And we felt that if they, if we were going to do it as a partnership, it had to be done correctly. Mm -hmm. And so they had bought security, they had to pay for licenses and uh, beer licenses and everything. And I asked for more about a week before, how was things looking? He said, we got everything done. I said, what about PR? He said, well, we don't have any money for that. <laughs> and so we're going to use flyers. And I thought that that was not the thing to do. Mm. So I went to Jim Graham, and I said, Jim Graham, I need a favor. I need to have some money. I need Wigman Walker to donate some money to uh, Bread for the Soul, and we're going to give it to Pride so that we'll have publicity. And I think he gave me $1,500. And we put an ad in the Blade, we put an ad in City Paper, and I think we put an ad in the Washington Informer. Mm -hmm. And the significance of that was that then people, there were rumors that this was going to happen. It was whispers and mm -hmm. rumors, but nobody knew for sure. <laughs> and I thought that if people saw little three by four, eight and a half by 11 flyers, it just didn't look right. Mm -hmm. it, it looked unprofessional. Mm -hmm. And that to make this be what it should be, right. we need to do it right. And so when they, uh, we took the ads out of the blade and the Washington Informer and the city paper, then people knew, ah, this legit. is it. Yeah. This is legit. Right. And so it gave it the credibility and professionalism that it needed. And uh, it just took legs after that. And, and uh, they, they made a profit and they paid us back and gave us a donation. And then they had seed money for the next year. Uh, and they gave us some awards. They, they, as a matter of fact, when Pride started, they took money uh, and gave scholarships and support to different age groups mm. uh, 
throughout the city. Uh, and that was one of the one of the other things that we did outside of pride. But uh, when we talked to uh, the commission, one of the first pieces we did uh, was the James Baldwin Black Russian piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was around the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. Mm -hmm. And it centered on two black gay men and their role in the Civil Rights Movement. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, it was done at Arena Stage. Mm -hmm. uh, and Sold then, out too. And it was free and we had so many people. We turned away like 150 people mm -hmm. outside and people were mad as hell <laughs> that they couldn't get in. And so the commission decided that in September, which was the month, October, which was actually the March on Washington 50th anniversary, they would do it again, mm -hmm. that same piece. And they did it at the Lincoln Theater and it filled the house. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, we thought that that once again was uh, a way to participate in uh, the, these, these mm -hmm. men who are artists. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, Bart um, Rushton was an incredible vocalist mm -hmm. and a pacifist and an activist, but it, it showed black history in a different light. And also a group of men who were about themselves and their sexual identity, but they had they were committed to a cause. Mm -hmm. And we thought that was an excellent way to begin to be a part of Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And I think, if I remember correctly, when, when Bayard Rustin was working on the March on Washington himself as an organizer right. and, and in different aspects of the movement, that it, he he was kind of kept at a distance at some times because yeah. of his sexuality. Yeah. Like yeah. they needed him because he was good and he was smart. How have you just real quick in, in just the last minute or so that we have, since you've, you've been a part of DC for so many years and you, you know, you focus on black history in DC, which as you say, black history is for all people. That's, you know, it's history for all of us. So what have you seen? How have you seen the district change over the years? And what do you, what do you see as its future as it relates to the arts and culture and the creative sector in the city? Well, I think that uh, the city, I have seen this city grow. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it has grown in a, a lot of different ways. I think it has been a welcoming mat for many artists who come from different places where they couldn't be artists. Uh, I think uh, I've seen the city uh, grow in terms of different LBGTQ artists, mm -hmm. uh, community being able to do art mm -hmm. and speak to their their communities and also speak to the entire community. Uh, I think that this city will continue to grow. I think that as more people come in, I think people treasure the arts in the city. Uh, they value the arts. And I think we're in a city where there is so much to offer. I mean, while we are in a city and so much is free. Mm -hmm. but and, and that's important, mm -hmm. that so much in this city is free. Mm -hmm. And that everything, not everything, but the lots of things you can go through year-round that are free. Mm -hmm. That encourages uh, the community to be a part of it. Uh, I think that as we continue to grow, I think the role of women artists is important in this city uh, and the role that they can play. And the, the different stories that they have to tell that have not been told and different expressions. And I, I think that uh, one of the things that I have seen 
I think, grow in this city uh, is the dance community. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's really a a stepchild sometimes in the arts. Is when people think of arts, they think of painters, they think of sculptures, or they think of the fine arts, or they think of uh, singers and those. But but dancers, mm-hmm. dance groups, and dance companies, and African dance groups, and mm-hmm. gay dance group, and uh, all those kinds of things that are flourishing now. Uh, that there are not a lot of places where you have those kinds of things, and I think that uh, this is a community that has allowed itself to grow. Even under the even under the thumb of the federal government, because we're not a state, mm-hmm. and there's so many things that well, are constantly at, we're threatened with being taken away from us, but that we are not afraid to continue to push the button. We're not afraid to continue to fight for the things that we'd like to see happening, and that I think it's important that uh, as artists and as people in the community that we contact and we talk to our uh, commissioners on the arts. We talk to the director. We talk to council members about things we'd like to see the art community do. Uh, that uh, while there's there's a lot of things happening, there are more things that could be done. There are still communities uh, that are left out that I think ought not be left out because uh, I just love to see a group of uh, gymnastics for little kids. Teach them from the beginning, because it's amazing how uh, little kids can be so acrobatic. <laughs> and if they could get into those kinds of programs that mm-hmm. early, mm-hmm. who knows where they could go? Uh, or dance. And particularly encourage, I think, Latino boys and little black boys to learn to dance. Mm-hmm. That they are such a powerful statement mm-hmm. that they can make by dancing. And they have the gift to dance. Mm-hmm. But there's still uh, images of stereotypes that won't allow them to do. And we don't have the kinds of opportunities. You go to a, I go to an African dance group, and I see 15 girls and two boys mm-hmm. doing African dance. But then I can go on the street, and I can see these brothers and these Latino brothers, and they're doing all this. The hip-hop and dance and movement and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing to them. They just can do it. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the kinds of things that we need to challenge so that they can move from here to, to go to, to be on Broadway or to be on a show to do tap or to be sweat. Mm-hmm. Do all those kinds of things. And to show them that there's an opportunity out there for your talent that you don't have to hide it. And people, you can grow it. And that none of this is easy. Mm-mm. It takes discipline. But you're in a city where you're incredible opportunities. I mean, I can't imagine any place else where there is many opportunities for young people and seniors and this whole community than there is in D.C. But we just have a lot going for ourselves. We do. And we thank you, of course, for everything that you have done over the years with all the different groups that you've been a part of and continue to be a part of with the city. You know, and, and I, I'm grateful that I've been able to be in a, uh, a genre that allowed me as president of the union, 
uh, to be able to do the kinds of things to be in black history. I worked at the Martin Luther King Library in black studies. I did all of the black history programming for years, Juneteenth, all of that. But to be in all the different genres that I've been in mm-hmm. and to find a way to merge those. You know, right now I'm chairing a, a host committee for the city for President Douglass's 200th birthday for a year. And to be able to grab different groups mm-hmm. who say, oh, I'd like to be a part of that to get the labor group involved in this, mm-hmm. or the teachers. I say, it's just a blessing to be able to have been in such a way that you can reach out and make a connection. The challenge with that is that people think, oh, if it's culture kicks, he can make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> and they will make you walk on water if you let them. So, oh, I know you can do this, boss. That's right. We Chuck, need you to do this. Chuck Hicks knows everybody. <laughs> and he can make it happen. He's seen it all and done most of it. <laughs> And that's that's a challenge. Right. It's not true. Right. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for taking time to come down and talk to us and uh, look forward to everything you've got coming up in the future. And oh, yeah. best of luck to you for thank everything. You, thank you. All right. You've been listening to the 202 Studio, a podcast series of the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to the commissioners and staff of the Commission on the Arts and Humanities, the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music and Entertainment, and special thanks to our mayor, Muriel Bowser, for her support of the Arts and Humanities in the District of Columbia. And thanks to you for listening today.